This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I believe that AI is going to help bring about global peace, but perhaps not in the way that you expect. The crux of what I mean here is that AI is helping to remove language barriers. Now, on the face of it, this might not seem like that big of a deal, but let's unpack why this creating of a universal translator, both in text and now in audio and video with tools like HeyGen, will, I think, result in moving towards greater global peace. So why is it that language barriers are so critical to global conflict and global peace? The first reason is shared narratives. Shared narratives, which are generally transmitted through language in the form of books and stories and movies, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, this is one of the primary ways that societies are coordinated. So you notice how many nations, their boundaries are defined by linguistic boundaries. So for instance, in Spain, they mostly speak Spanish. In England, they mostly speak English. In France, they mostly speak French. In China, they mostly speak Chinese. It is not by accident that most national boundaries are also linguistic boundaries. These are what I call epistemic tribes. Epistemic tribes can revolve around any number of characteristics. Religion, culture, language is a big one. And so then you have all these ideologies, all these narratives that are generally contained by linguistic barriers. Right now, English is the largest single language and it has a global reach. Many people in Europe speak it. Many people in North America speak it, Australia. And then, of course, there's significant English-speaking populations in much of the world, South America, Africa, all over Asia, and so on. However, if you look at the total distribution of languages, only about 20% of the world speaks English, which means that there is no global lingua franca. And so a lingua franca is basically the common tongue. There is no common tongue globally. So if we are to coordinate as a species we all need to be able to talk to each other. And right now, or at least before now, translation was difficult, if not impossible, and very expensive because you had to hire someone who was multilingual, who was a polyglot, in order to do translation work, and it was slow and expensive. Now, with tools like language models and then audiovisual multimodal models, we are going to have the ability to have, in effect, universal translators. And then when you look at the impact ongoing acceleration has, so these tools are getting cheaper and faster, we are nearing a time of literally real-time universal translation, not just in text, but also audio and video. So what is this going to do to humanity? This, I think, is going to be one of the most profound unintended consequences of the artificial intelligence revolution that we're going through. And I think that it's going to have gigantic reverberations for all of the rest of human history. I'm getting chills just thinking about how important this is. So first, let's talk about social media integration. Platforms like YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, all of them. Imagine once these AI tools are embedded and automatic in all of these platforms. That means that you get on any social media and you can converse in real time with literally 8 billion other humans or 9 billion or however many there are by the time this is rolled out. 
And that means that you can share ideas, narratives, and stories, discussions, debates, all the messy parts of freedom of speech and democracy, democratizing access to information comes with. That means that you can debate with people that don't speak your language and AI can serve as the glue, the communicative glue that holds the whole world together. Now, obviously, there's going to be all kinds of ways that this can go wrong or sideways, like if someone is espousing genocidal views, how do you handle that? Do you just translate it as is, or do you add cultural context? Do you censor it? Do you have content moderation? Those are experiments that I think should be done by platforms, but also should be up to individual preference. I've talked about content moderation, which is not the same as censorship, by the way. I've talked about AI-based content moderation, and one of the things that people generally seem to convene on is that content moderation should be up to individual preference rather than political or platform preference, and I actually agree with that. I think it would be great if YouTube and LinkedIn and Twitter and all these other platforms, if they just gave you settings that you can say like, filter out stuff that I don't want to see personally. That I think would be probably the most uh, egalitarian and democratic solution. Because then if you don't want to be exposed to certain things, that's entirely your choice rather than the platform making that decision for you. Now, AI can help with that. And I think that that is something that should be embedded. It should also be up to content creators uh, to a certain extent as to like, hey, if I make this video, do I want it to be in Mandarin, German, you know, Swahili? Like what languages do I want to present my material in? If creators want to constrain their audience to say an English speaking audience or a Japanese speaking audience. However, in my case, I would want YouTube automatically translate my content into as many languages as possible because part of my job as a communicator is to help solve these coordination problems and communication is how you solve coordination problems. Coming up with these global communication tools, which we don't need to create a lingua franca, we have AI for that. So number one, social media integration of AI and translation is going to do a lot to foster global communication and mutual understanding. Now, you can still have disagreements, but imagine if every English-speaking person and every Russian-speaking person and every German-speaking person and every Chinese-speaking person, if literally everyone on the entire planet could communicate with each other in real time, that would reduce friction so much. Number two is the global circulation of written content. So I have a friend of mine, she's bilingual, she speaks French and English. She does translation, translating English works into French, but that is slow and it is expensive work. And while I don't want my friend to lose a job, can you imagine how much better it would be if literally every book written on the planet was available in whatever language that you wanted? Imagine real-time translation for literally every book that you that you wanted or needed so that means that, you know, if you have a Chinese philosopher, I could read that without having to worry about bad translations. Likewise, everything that I've written, all the blogs, all the books, all the magazine articles, imagine if literally every piece of written wisdom in human history was available to everyone in whatever language they preferred. This would democratize knowledge and wisdom and also facilitate infinitely more cultural exchange because that's not just that's just that's not just nonfiction. That's not just making science and philosophy more accessible. That's making fiction more accessible. That means that uh, stories from America can, can go to Africa and stories from Africa can come to America with much less friction. And again, remember, uh, narratives, both fictional and nonfictional narratives, are part of how you create cultural affinity. Cultural affinity means I understand you and you understand me. And if you have mutual understanding and mutual empathy, you're much less likely to go to war. So for instance... 
Uh, and a good example of cultural affinity is uh, America and most of Europe. So particularly Western Europe, we have a lot of cultural affinity. And so it's really basically like impossible to imagine America and Europe going to war again. But consider just a century ago, Europe was still recovering from the First World War and gearing up for the Second World War. That seems beyond the realm of possibility today. And part of that is cultural affinity. And communication is how you build cultural affinity. So number three is basically working through ideological conflicts and merging of these epistemic tribes. So what I mean by that is that all, not all, most conflict today, particularly big scale conflicts, are all ideologically driven. So that means they're religious, they're political, they're economic narratives that people disagree on. They're not conflicts over resources. Uh, there are local or regional conflicts over resources. So, for instance, you might have people fighting over water rights. You might have people fighting over timber rights, access to food, that sort of thing. But on a, on a grand scale, on a geopolitical global scale, the biggest conflicts are all ideological. The last war of conquest that we had was World War II. So that was the Japanese Empire and the Nazi Empire were trying to grow and expand. But we haven't had a war of conquest since then. And so what people, what, what commentators and, and historians and political scientists are noticing is that the nature of war and conflict has changed. It's no longer about conquest. It's more about ideological conquest. So it's not about conquering lands and owning them. And part of the reason for this is, is the value of land has gone down. That's not to say that land is, is useless, but human capital, ideological capital is worth infinitely more than land is today. And so now conflicts are ideological. They're based over intellectual, emotional, and narrative things. These are, these, this is what I mean by epistemic tribes. So you have Muslims versus Catholics, or Christians uh, by and large. You have uh, capitalists versus communists. You have uh, dem democracies versus authoritarian regimes. This is what I mean by ideological conflicts. Most, ideolog or most conflicts today are ideological, and certainly the existential human conflicts are all ideological. The reason that America has nukes pointed at Russia and China and the reason that they have nukes pointed at us is not over resources. We occupy entirely different continents. The reason that we have nukes pointed at each other, and it seems kind of asinine when you put it this way, is ideological differences, which is really dumb in the grand scheme of things. What ideology makes sense to try and eradicate someone else? This is, of course, why we're talking about multipolar peace right now. Um, we'll see how that plays out in the long run. Anyways, I'm getting kind of lost in a, in a rabbit hole. So number four is uh, creating more cultural affinity and a global lingua franca. So originally, so when, when I say originally, I mean like as recently as, you know, a week ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, the idea was, hey, what if we work towards making English the global lingua franca? And of course, a lot of people are like, yeah, but I like my language. You know, get your imperialist, colonialist bullshit out of here, which that is an appropriate and healthy reaction. Um Forcing language on people is one way that uh, cultures have been erased in the past. So that's bad. That's no go. So if we live in a world where people um, do and should have their own languages, where local cultures and local languages are protected and preserved, how do you then overcome communication barriers? We can't have translators that speak 6,000 different languages or 12,000 different languages. However, we can create technologies that do. And so by creating these technologies that effectively create a global lingua franca, that basically effectively mean that everyone can communicate, this is how you build cultural affinity 
Because when you communicate with people, you find that you have more in common that you ha- than you have differences. And so this is why you know, uh, many globetrotting people have said, like, to know a people is to love them. And when you go and embed yourself in a culture, you realize that you actually have a lot more in common with those people, even if they are very exotic or if their culture is very different from yours. Um, but the thing is, um, not everyone can travel can travel that much. And even if you do travel, not everyone speaks your language and you don't necessarily speak their language, but that experience helps. And with universal translators, which soon will be able to run on your phone, because imagine you can just like talk to this and, you know, you have an earpiece or whatever. People are working on that. Um, and that means that you will be able to go literally anywhere in the world and talk to anyone and have any experience that will make the world safer for everyone and it will build cultural affinity for everyone in the world. Because imagine if language is a barrier for you to expatriate to another country or to visit another country or for other people to come visit here. This will allow for far more transmission of those in-person experiences, which will build that cultural affinity and work us towards global peace. This is just going to naturally emerge without any other effort. So this is one of the examples where Uh, Technology generally solves problems. Yes, language technology can be used to create disinformation. Language technology can also be used to remove friction. And so finally, number five, and I've kind of already mentioned this, is entertainment is a unifying force. So for for example, uh, global narratives, stories that become global, Harry Potter, Star Wars, uh, the three-body problem, that's one from China. Um, These fictional narratives that become global, uh, so... This is where it's also problematic because America has a policy of exporting culture. Part of building cultural affinity is exporting culture so that other cultures are more familiar with you. Cultural exchange. This is why when you see like, oh, hey, uh, America and a lot of the West imports a lot of uh, anime and manga from Japan. And uh, conversely, we export a lot of stuff to them. Music, movies, film, TV, food. So we have a lot of cultural exchange with Japan, and so now it is inconceivable that we would ever go to war with Japan again. We love Japan. Japan loves us. And yes, we both have problematic pasts, but that's a topic for another video. Point being is that that cultural exchange of, you know, anime and manga and then, you know, MCU and other stuff going to Japan, that means that we have much more cultural affinity, even though we have different cultures. We can appreciate their culture because they produce a lot of cool stuff. Ghost in the Shell is one of my favorite Uh, works of all time and it started as a manga and then an anime and then an anime series and the reason that i have access to that is because of translation services but imagine if literally every piece of material every piece of entertainment that is created in other nations with text to video text to audio text to music that means that content creators all over the world will soon be able to tell all of their own stories so i am looking forward to seeing all the stories that are created by people indigenous people all over Africa, South America, Asia, Russia, India, like everywhere. I want to see what these people create and be able to consume it in my own language. Can you imagine how many more stories we will have access to to understand each other in just like probably by this time next year? So anyways, that's five different ways that I think that AI is going to propel humanity towards global peace And if you want to participate in this, if you're a startup founder, create tools that allow for this cultural exchange. Any of these five main criteria, 
social media integration, circulation of written content, such as uh, translating books of all kinds and other written periodicals, ideological conflict and, and epistemic tribes, work on creating tools that allow people to talk about ideological differences in a mature fashion and to work through those and to find more common ground than differences. Number four, build cultural affinity through cultural exchange, and then finally, entertainment as that universal force. So thanks for watching. I hope you got a lot out of this. Like, subscribe, etc., etc. Oh, and by the way, if you didn't hear, my Patreon is now simplified. It is $10, and you get access to everything $10 a month. That includes a private exclusive Discord server, as well as a monthly Q&A, which is hosted on Zoom webinars now. So we got a nice, clean, professional format. All right, cheers.